Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. What a blessing it is to be together. Pray that your week has been okay. Everybody all right? Okay. I'm not, I'm not convinced, so we'll, we'll see what the Lord has to say about that here in just a few minutes. Let me give you some announcements. Uh, we've been talking much about the shoebox work and the needs there. We're coming to an end of that for this year very soon, November 13th. Make sure you mark that on your calendars. Uh, we're having the final packing, if you will, to just get all the finishing touches done uh, from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Okay, so from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. That doesn't mean you have to be here for 12 hours. That just means that you can come as you can, all right, to be a part of helping us to take care of that. Now, with that said, Diaz asked me that we please have some help, if we can, right after this service to get containers downstairs. If some of you guys and ladies can stick around for that, that'd be a great help. Uh, to get some of that done, and she'll be able to direct all of that. The other exciting thing is uh, this morning I want to announce uh, the, the starting of 30 days for you to uh, examine, if you will, for lack of better words, uh, a, a brother who has been asked to be an elder among us. And so uh, Danny Via has uh, felt the call of God on his heart to serve with us as an elder, and so we're greatly excited about this. And so uh, our bylaws say that we are to give you 30 days the option to uh, do what I said, is to examine his life and um, give to us any concerns you may have, uh, any praises, whatever you want us to know as acting elders, so that we can affirm him at the end of those 30 days. And so today is the beginning of that. So we're blessed to have Brother Danny and, of course, Miss Peggy. Uh, they have been a part of the church for many years now, and you've heard Danny preach numerous times and just a dear brother in the Lord. So we're really excited about this. Uh, and by the way, just so our church family knows this mostly, but for those of you that are with us new, uh, we have worked very hard as leaders over the years not to just plug holes. Uh, we just don't believe that just because an opening occurs in the leadership, we just need to put somebody there. Uh, we've really wanted to wait until the Lord gives us that person who also has the heart to want to do the job. And so uh, we would really are going to consider uh, Brother Danny as a pastor among us. If you affirm this, that's what an elder is. And so, um, as you do with Pastor Hamp and Pastor Scott and myself, uh, he will be seen as that, a shepherd of us, okay, among us. So, uh, just be praying and asking the Lord's clear clarity and direction, and I know it'll be a blessed time for us. All right? So, we're excited about that. Okay, well, let's pray, and we'll get into what the Father wants for us today. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the many joys and the many blessings that we've had this week. Uh, Lord, although sometimes for me it seems like it's been a, a match between either Mike Tyson or Conor McGregor um, in the ring at the same time. And so I think all of us have felt the weight of, of discouragement this week, or the weight of uh, just problems and issues in life with family and friends and in our own relationships and whatever they might be. And so, uh, Lord, we come to you now this morning just uh, seeking comfort and assurance and and rest. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of rest. Lord, we love you because we know that you first loved us. You know, so we just honor you this morning and we worship you. And we pray that you'd give us your mind and that you'd help us to hear your word as it's read today. Lord, that we may not just be hearers, but we, as James says, would be doers of your word too. So Lord, uh, speak to our hearts. Help us to push away the troublesome things and may we focus on you. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, 
As often happens, and you know this by now, uh, the Lord changes directions. And so I had fully planned on going into Matthew 6, into the next section. We'll put that aside. Someone said to me this week, I really need to hear some comfort from the Lord. And so I thought about that, and I thought, okay, I have no idea how to comfort people. It's not my ability to do so. My words last about that long, and then they're forgotten, uh, even by me. And so uh, I thought, well, we do know someone who has lots of great words. And so we're going to listen to the Lord a lot this morning. Uh, We're just going to look at a lot of his scripture. uh, And we're going to just hear what he says to us. And I know that your hearts are going to be greatly blessed. I was telling somebody uh, just at the end of this last service that as I was putting this together this week, I was just even myself overwhelmed with the presence of the Lord and, and his goodness to us. And so... I'm going to try to do very little commentary except for the very beginning and make some comments throughout, Uh, but we're just going to listen to the Father today, okay? So let's see what he has to say. Now, the title that I've given it here is Comfort in Troubling Times. Uh, What do we do with troubling times? That really becomes the impetus for for the morning, is that what are we supposed to do? How do we deal with the times in our lives that are very troubling? And I'm going to give to you several things here that just came to my mind as I reflected and really all I did is I just sat down and I just began to lay out scriptures that were coming to my mind and one led to another one led to another that seemed to fit the subject so uh, hopefully that'll have meaning for you as well and the number one thing that came up was I think in any times of trouble we need to remember that you and I are the church okay you and I are the church now just bear with me with all this let's just talk this through for a second The word church, as you know, if you've studied the length of Scripture, in Scripture at all, the word in Greek means called out ones, for lack of better uh, definition, if you will. The called out ones. We've been called out from the life of sin, called out from the mindset of the darkness, called out from that which would be evil in us to be the light of the world, as Jesus would refer to us. So the church are the called out ones, but we are also called together. Amen? We're called together for a purpose. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to know that when we are part of anything as a group, we have similarities and we uh, have a commonality with whatever that might be, whether it's an exercise group or a work, uh, something at work or something in the neighborhood, whatever it might be, we find a commonality amongst a group. And I think that's purposeful on God's part. He built us that way. Well, the church is just that as well. You and I gather together and we have that commonality, don't we? How many times have you been out somewhere and you've learned that somebody you didn't even know was a believer and you just instantly had that connection because you had the same father, right? And that's what I'm talking about here. And so I think we need to remember, number one, in the troubling times, we are the church. And let's talk about the church for just a minute. There's a story, if you were with us on Wednesday night, I'm going to take some of this from what David Jeremiah said in his study from Wednesday night, and that's on our discipleship classes. He recounted the story that Chuck Colson told of a friend of his, so this is the third person down, who was the U.S. uh, chaplain, or the chaplain to the U.S. Senate. His name was Dick Halverson, or Richard Halverson. And he was the pastor of the Fourth Presbyterian Church in D.C., a very prominent church, he was traveling, he was coming back into Reagan National and was looking over through his window trying to see the church building. 
And he was doing his best to find it and couldn't find it through all the trees. And he was really discouraged by that. He really wanted to see his church. But what he did see was the skyline of D.C., the monuments and, and the White House, the Capitol buildings, the Congress buildings, and all of the government buildings. And it dawned on him, wait a minute, there's the church. Because the people have come to be a part of this physical location, yes, but then they go out and they become the voice and the mind and the spirit of Christ in the workplace. And so he was just so blessed to think about how this building, beloved, is not the church, right? You and I are the church. You and I were called of God to be filled with the spirit of the Lord to go out into the darkness so that we may be lights for Christ, so that the world may see him and glorify him. And we'll see, we'll see scripture about that again today. And so in discouraging, troubling times, remember that the Lord has called you out. He set his name upon your heart from the foundation of the world. There are going to be about a thousand scriptures, I mean sermons in all this talk today, but I won't get to all those. But just understand that as the church, you personally were chosen by God from the foundation of the world to trust him and to know him. And so he sends you out into the midst of a darkened world. William Tyndale, who was a Bible translator, one of the, the first Bible translator, honestly, uh, hundreds of years ago, martyred for his faith. Tremendously difficult time. But he said that this word church really shouldn't have been translated as uh, church. It really should be translated as congregation. And so in his opinion, we could think of ourselves as the congregation of God, the churches, the people of God as we go out into the highways, into the byways. Jesus said he would build his church. It's not our responsibility. It's not for you and me to do that. It's for us to be lights, to be his people. He said in Matthew 16, 18, and by the way, Again, I'm going to give you lots and lots of scripture today. So try not to keep up. Don't try to keep up. Just listen intently, if you will. Jesus said, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, now this is where we differ with the Catholics. This is not the same meaning of the word rock here. But upon this profession, Jesus is saying, who he is, he would build his church. He is the son of the living God, the Christ, the son of the living God. And so Jesus says, Peter, upon that very truth, I will build my church. And so it's the Lord himself who builds the church. And what that means is Jesus, again, has selected you and me to be a part of it. Just think about that for a minute. In his infinite mind, he decided before he formed you and fashioned you, that you would be a part of his work? How precious is that? That unbeknownst to us, the Lord would set his hand of grace upon us. In fact, he told the disciples in John 15, 16, hey guys, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I'm sending you forth to do the work that I've called you to do. Which means also in all of this, God doesn't do anything for naught. He did it for a purpose. He has a plan for his church. You and I were created to be a part of his redeeming work, which is what he said he will do. He said, my work will be accomplished and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We could stop right there and say amen, couldn't we? And just go home. Listen, in the midst of your discouragement, in the midst of your battles, understand you are the church 
and Satan will not prevail against you. Amen? Secondly, because we are the church, we are to be different from the world. We're to be different. The context is Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. In Pentecost, the word simply means 50. It was 50 days after the time of the Passover. And the Holy Spirit was about to come in. The Jews didn't know that. For them, it was a normal celebration that God had given to them through Moses. And it was the time of the spring, and it was the festival of harvest. But it was the time that God had appointed from eternity past for the Spirit of God to descend and become the creator of the church. And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, we read, So then those who had received, and that word means gladly welcomed, listen to the heart here, who gladly received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they were continually, verse 42, and that means earnestly devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. What that means is fear, that reverential fear. They knew that God was doing something here. And there were many signs and wonders that were taking place through the apostles and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need day by day continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved how did they spend their time Well, God gives us the very foundation of the church right here in verse 42. Notice, they continually devoted themselves to biblical teaching. They were hungry for the things of God, the truth of God. It was as if they were pushing away all that they had learned and all they had heard and said, fill us, Lord, with your word. Teach us your word. They spent time, secondly, in fellowship, much like we love to do. We love to be together as people. The breaking of bread is referring to communion. That's not talking about meals. That's not Baptist chicken. That's talking about the communion table. And in prayer. Prayer was an essential ingredient of the foundation of the church. Beloved, listen, if you want a definition of the church and what the church is to be doing, this is it. This is it, right here in verse 42. We should never be confused about what the four things are that we're called to do. And as a result of their great following of the Lord, look what he did. He gave them special signs and wonders through the apostles. Signs are miracles. It's just another name for miracles. Wonders are a way to describe just amazing things. We don't even know what they were necessarily, but they were just amazing. And the Lord says, all who believed were together. Isn't that beautiful? They had a commonality. They were truly saved, becoming one family, one spirit, no longer seeing themselves as individuals. They no longer felt the feeling of, oh, well, it's time to go to temple to do this. And they were devout in what God had told them to do. But now God had come in the power of his spirit and indwelt their hearts and changed their hearts. And now they wanted to be together. They missed being together. Can I just say to you, I know there's a lot of concern over the the issue of what we're facing with the pandemic and all that, but we just felt so strongly that God's people need to be together as much as we can make it happen. And that's why we said to you, you're smart people, be wise, do what you feel is necessary. There's no way we can control a virus. And so you decide what you want to do. But we felt it was so spiritually necessary for us to be together 
There's power in our relationships, right? One of the, I'm convinced 100% what Satan wants is to divide his church, divide the, God's church, and, and create differences and, and all that. And that's how Jesus said, a house divided itself will never stand, right? A nation divided against itself will never stand. And that's what we're seeing and so it's so important that as we see the early church that they saw themselves together. They sold their property. I mean, come on now. Those of you who have 10,000 acres out there in Arizona somewhere, you're going to give up your property. And no, I'm just kidding. But the needs were so great and they felt themselves so much together that they just wanted to live life together. And as they saw a need, they said, hey, I have this, I have this, I can sell this and get the money for that. And there were no questions asked. It was just as they saw need and they daily continued. And that word daily, by the way, means with one mind. They daily continued with one mind. They lived life together and they praised God. And guess what? God said, this is a place where people can be safe. I'll bring them in and I'll save their souls. And he added to the church and he built the church. And they continued. You jump to Acts chapter 4. The congregation of those who believed, there's the word, were of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Beautiful, beautiful time of selflessness. Beloved, listen, you're a part of the church. God anointed you with his Holy Spirit to be one with others, to be a reflection of his grace. Beautiful thing to remember. But you're to be different. And you're also to make a difference. And that's number three. As a result of their difference internally, the world took notice of them. Talking about making an impact. Let me read you something. Again, this is from David Jeremiah's chapter here. But it's written by an early Christian, he says, from 130 A.D. 130 A.D., a long time ago. And here's what he says. They, talking about Christians, dwell in their countries... But simply as sojourners, as citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth is as a land of strangers. They marry, as do all others. They beget children. But how about this? But they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They're in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound to all. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of and yet are justified. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. <clears throat> they do good yet are punished as evildoers. When punished they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. 
To sum it all up in one word, what the soul is to the body, they are Christians in the world. Tertullian, who was an early church, church father many, many years ago, wrote this about how Christians use their money. They're not buying and selling of any sort in the things of God, though we have our treasure chest. It is not made up of purchased money, as of a religion that has its price. On the monthly day, if he likes, he puts in a small donation, but only if it is be his pleasure, and only if he be able, for there is no compulsion. It's all voluntary. These are gifts. They're not spent on feasts and drinking bouts and eating houses, but to support, the, to support and bury poor people, to supply the wants of boys and girls, destitute of means and parents, and of old persons confined now to the house, such too as have suffered shipwreck. And if there happen to be any in the mines or banished to the islands or shut up in the prisons for nothing but their fidelity to the cause of God's church, they become the nurslings of their confession. But it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another, for they themselves are animated by mutual hatred. See, they say about us how they, already even to die, they are ready to die for one another, for they themselves would sooner Kill, talking about the difference between the ungodly and the godly. Another man wrote this about the early church. He said, Christianity revitalized the life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent problems. To cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered the immediate basis for attachment. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fire, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. For what they brought was not simply an urban movement, but a new culture capable of making life in Greco-Roman cities more tolerable written from unbelievers as they watched the difference that the Christians were making in their communities. And did you know that many of the leaders, even from the founding of our own nation, established this nation based upon Christian principles, what the Bible said? Now, some of our forefathers were not necessarily great followers of the Lord, but they at least had enough instilled in them to know that there was solid foundation in the Scriptures. And so this land was built upon those founding principles. Listen to some of these. Constitutional government that we have lived with is a mutual agreement between governor and the governed, but that simply reflects the covenant between God and Israel. Representative government, governors chosen from among people, reflects the way New Testament church leaders are selected, just like we're talking about with Brother Danny. Equality for all reflects the biblical idea that all stand equally before God. Rule by law reflects the biblical idea that the creator God is the lawgiver and the judge of all. Liberty reflects the liberty and freedom from condemnation found in Christ Jesus. Recognition of the depravity of man reflects the biblical notion that all have sinned. The separation of powers, the executive, judicial, and legislative branches all reflect the triune God. It's amazing, isn't it? But listen, you and I are not only the church and are to be different, we're to make a difference. 
And then fourthly, we're to remember that the Lord told us, though, in the midst of all that we do and all that we live with and all that we pursue in this life to be what the Lord wants us to be and do and all of that, he told us that we need to remember you will be persecuted. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would, have, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Do you hear what the Lord said? Total blindness. The world is ignorant. They don't know him. In fact, John 16, 3, these things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. Acts chapter 3, verse 17, and now, brethren, Peter would say this in his great sermon, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. In other words, when he's addressing the religious leaders of the day who were supposed to know the difference, he said, I know you acted in ignorance. In other words, your eyes are blind to the truth. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, Do not be surprised then, John writes, brethren, if the world hates you. Why? Because the Lord told us this world belongs to Satan. It's his world. He's the God of this world, at least for now. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Listen. He's blinded their eyes so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Oh, beloved, listen. Your eyes have been opened to see the glory of Christ. But the world that lives and walks in darkness that we fight day after day after day in this spiritual battle is ignorant to the truth because the God of this world that they serve has blinded their eyes from seeing the light of truth. You and I know that many have gone before us that were greatly hated. In fact, Hebrews 11, this great chapter, tells of the experiences of some. Beginning in verse 36, the writer says, Some have experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonments, horrible things. They were stoned, if you can imagine. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. And I love this. Men of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Not in this life. But God has provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. What did God provide that was better? Well, let's keep going in Hebrews 11. Look at verse 13. Jump back up a little bit. 
All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they'd been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Praise his name. And John is going to reveal the heavenly joy for all of those who have been martyred prior to us, those people that have lost their lives as a result of following Christ. If you go to Revelation 6, 9, when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, John says, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. And because of the testimony which they had maintained, and they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. The white robe speaks of holiness and purity, as we see that often in Scripture often reserved only for Christ, for the angels, and for the saints of God. And so here are these beloved souls who were martyred for their faith long before you and me, and even those in our day that will be there in that time when we get there. And then if we don't remember that we are of the church and that we're to be different and we're to make a difference and that we will be persecuted, we're to remember this, that we're not to be overcome by anything. Not to be overcome by anything. Second Corinthians 3.16 Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Going into chapter 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are human, beloved. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. Listen, it's all about Him. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. That word in Greek means broken down, distressed. We're perplexed. That means to be at a loss at times, but we're not despairing, which means to be utterly at a loss. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken, meaning left behind. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake 
so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus will present us with you. In verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And don't you just feel that? As you feel your earthly life slipping away because of age and disease and all the problems that we endure, but yet your heart is growing more and more joyful as you grow in the Lord, that's what he's saying here. For, mom- for this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Listen, did you know that everything you're enduring right now is a momentary light affliction according to the Lord? It's a light affliction. It's momentary. But listen, what it's doing is it's producing in you and me this weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Listen, beloved. Don't lose your faith. Don't lose hold of what you know to be true. Don't lose heart in the midst of your trying times, such as because there's so much more waiting for us. Listen to what Peter says. And I want to go through quite a few verses here from Peter. Just listen to as the Spirit helps you discern what he wants us to know. The context is, if you haven't read the letter of 1 Peter, the context is the time of Nero. Nero was a ruthless, vindictive dictator over Rome who had this insatiable desire to build. And when he couldn't find anything else to build in Rome, he burnt most of the city. And because he wasn't about to take the blame for it, he blamed it on the Christians. And as a result of that, the city began to persecute the Christians horribly. And so Peter, along with Paul in his letters, are writing to those believers who are being scattered because of persecution and wondering what life is going to be like in the future. How are they going to survive all of this? And here's what Peter says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you love it when people respond like that? who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls." Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord... And coming to him as, a living, as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for those who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, that's the unsaved, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And because we don't need to be overcome by anything, Peter continues on by saying, Submit yourselves, therefore, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to the king as one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and the praise of those who do right, for such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. But don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. But use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. For you've been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose 
that you might inherit a blessing. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. The end of all things is near, therefore. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who speaks the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and forever. Amen. Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of the glory of God rests on you. Now listen, if all of that fails you, remember this last thing. Remember who you serve. Remember who you serve. I've read this passage of Scripture because I've read through the Scriptures, but it never stuck out to me like it did this week. Isaiah 33, 22. Listen to what Isaiah says. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Don't you love that? Can we just look at some things that refer back to that concerning Jesus as our judge? Isaiah 2, 4. He will judge between the nations. He will render decisions for many peoples and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn of war. Talking about his millennial reign. Isaiah 11, 4, with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Isaiah 16, 5, a throne will be established in loving kindness and a judge will sit on it in faithfulness in the tent of David. Moreover, he will seek justice and be prompt in righteousness. As lawgiver, the psalmist says in Psalm 37, the Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day talking about the wicked. 
The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart and their bows will be broken. Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked for the arms of the wicked will be broken but the Lord sustains the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil and in the days of famine. Listen, they will have abundance. You think God's not going to take care of us? But the wicked will perish and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. If you jump down to verse 22, for those blessed by him will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be cut off. And let's not forget, beloved, what Daniel said in Daniel 2.21. He removes kings and establishes kings. Daniel 4.17, The Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. John 19.11, Jesus said to Pilate when he stood before him on the steps of the praetorium, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. And so we're told by Paul in Romans 13, then render to all that is due them, tax to whom tax, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, because God is in control. Furthermore, Isaiah 51, 4 says, pay attention to me, O people, and give ear to me, O my nation, for a law will go forth from me, and I will set my justice for a light of the people's. Verse 7, listen to me, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. And James 4.12 says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. Concerning the Lord as king, Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that time did come, didn't it? In Mark chapter 11, they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. That's when they, Jesus sent the disciples out to get the donkey. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And then finally, as Isaiah said, he will save us. He did save, didn't he? Isaiah 25, 9, And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Isaiah 35, 4, Say to those with anxious heart, Take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. 
Isaiah 49, 25, Surely thus says the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty man will be taken away, and the prey of the tyrant will be rescued. For I will contend with the one who contends with you. Isn't it nice to know you have the Lord in your corner? And I will save your sons. I will feed your oppressors their own flesh. And they will become drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. And all flesh will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Isaiah 60, 16. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. He repeats that twice. And he did come to save, according to what we read in the New Testament, Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will what? You'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Paul, writing to the churches in Galatia, said this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Galatians 4, 5, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. 1 Corinthians 1.30, by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Hebrews 9.12, And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. All to which Paul said in his letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 1, I pray, beloved, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Chapter 3, for this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through this spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Praise his name. Beloved, listen. In the times of trouble, remember that you are the church. Remember that you're to be different. Remember that God has called you to make a difference. Understand that you will be persecuted. You will. You will not get around that. But understand that God has come to save you. He's our judge, right? He is our lawgiver. He is our king. And he will save us. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. How fitting it is that we conclude this with all these words from the Lord don't you just feel the purifying work of the Lord as he speaks to your heart
As you just take that little cup, hopefully you have one. If you don't, uh, we can get one of those to you. They're on the back table if you need to step up and get one. If you haven't gotten one, on one side is a little wafer. On the other side is the juice, okay? And so uh, we have a treat this morning. Missy and Chloe are going to sing three verses for us. They're going to sing the first one for us, and then uh, we'll have the, the bread, and then we'll have another verse, and then the juice, and then we'll close, okay? this for I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me so if you tear off that little piece of paper and take that wafer go ahead and take part in that now same way he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you drink this eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes so take part in the juice if you will
Father, we thank you for the joy and the blessing of being together today. We thank you, Lord, that in the midst of trying times and uh, uncomfortable times, as we all face them, as we all wonder about our futures in various ways, whether it be through a health issue or even foundationally for the future of our nation, for the future of the world, Lord, we take great comfort in knowing that you've called us to be your church. Thank you, Lord, that you've set it upon our hearts to be different and to make a difference. Lord, as we just live our days rejoicing in you, obedient to you and to your word, we thank you that you have set us on the rock of Christ. And Lord, as we go from this place, help us to just feel your cleansing power from your word. We thank you, Lord, that man has nothing lasting to say, but you have eternal life in your words. And so this morning, we praise you and we honor you. And we ask that you would use us in our respective ways as we go out and we be the church in the community. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Lord's blessings to you all. You're dismissed.